You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Dear Culture. Uh, I'm your host, Panama Jackson, and I'm excited to have this conversation today. One, because I've had a conversation with this with this multi-hyphenate, brilliant, brilliant TV mind before, but also because we're going to be talking about TV shows that I love, uh, representation, putting blacks and black stories front and center. Today's guest is a multi-hyphenate. So he is a husband. He is a father. He has a PhD. He's an executive producer. He's a creator. He's a writer. He's a showrunner. He was in Stomp. He was in the place Stomp. He was out there getting it. In the famous words of, of Big Red from the Five Heartbeats, what do you don't do? <laughs> Today's guest, ladies and gentlemen, is none other than executive producer of Bel Air, currently Anthony Sparks. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing real good because I'm sitting here chopping it up with you today. I always enjoy talking to you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. <laughs> man, it is my pleasure. Like, I'm excited to have you here. One, because I'm a big fan of it. It seems like everything that you work on. <laughs> so, and we're going to talk about all of that stuff, like okay. from Queen Sugar. Uh, I even like Lincoln Heights. I remember watching that show. And, you know, that show, I swear. <laughs> Man, back in the day, back in the day, I seen the blacklist. Like, so all these different things. I watched Mike on Hulu, which thank you, thank you. another product of yours. Like, you've done so much interesting, like, and it's it's all different. You've done so much stuff that's yeah. culturally resonant. And it's just fascinating for because it's all very black, too. It's like there's a lot of it's representation and storytelling. Yeah. And I gotta tell you, I'm 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 impressed by this because it doesn't seem like everybody gets the opportunity to yeah. tell black stories the way they seem to want to. Yeah. So yeah. I got to start at the beginning here. Where does the Anthony Sparks story start in terms of entertainment and getting into entertainment? How did we get here? How did we get here? Well, you know, I'm a South Side kid from Chicago, South Side of Chicago, vis-a-vis Mississippi, um, which is where my whole family is from. So that right there right. gives me my, my, my blackitude is very high, you know, just from that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mississippi and South side of Chicago, which I affectionately call South side of Chicago, upper Mississippi anyway. <laughs> um, so <it's> that. <laughs> it is There's a lot of us up there and it's um, I come from this family, this very large, expansive family. Um, I have eight or nine brothers and sisters, depending on how you want to count it, you know, <laughs> um, and and uh, I just come from a lot of black love. You know, we, we have our issues like everybody else, you know, in the community. But I just grew up just knowing that I was loved by black people in my community. Teachers, you know, um, were huge for me. Um, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for teachers who identified that, you know, hey, we got to help this one along from John D. Shoup School in the hood um, back in Chicago and then <laughs> to middle and high school, which was a transformative experience. Whitney Young Magnet High School, which is the same school that Michelle Obama actually graduated from uh, years before. Okay. Me. Very famous, very famous high school. From it, my it is, I've it heard, is. I knew about yeah. Whitney Young before I knew about Chicago, to be real with you. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. I mean, it's it's a, it's a it's a special special place, and it and it holds a special place in my heart. And what it did for me in terms of blowing open my world, 
And, you know, if I hadn't gone to Whitney Young, there's no way I would have had the nerve to jump on a plane and go someplace I'd never been, which was Los Angeles, to go to USC, School of Dramatic Arts. Um, you know, I'd never even been to California, you know, when I came uh, out here to go after my fortune, you know, at that time. So that's how it sort of began. So were you in for school me. plays and stuff like that? Absolutely. I was the, the I was that that okay. nerd theater kid that y'all be making fun of. This is what he looks like when he grows up. Well, I was up. that guy too. So I just want to be clear. I was that guy too. I did all. I was the black thespian in my high school. I was that guy. Exactly. Exactly. That's well. That's definitely where it started to take off and become something very serious for me. It actually started in the church. The black church was where I actually started doing. My first, you know, the Christmas pageant, the Easter pageant, you know, Um, I remember (laughs) asking if I could recite the creation by James Weldon Johnson, you know, to the congregation, you know, didn't understand half of it, but I just, you know, that was my first solo show, actually, you know, from there, high school, middle school and high school, went to Whitney Young Magnet. And that was a place where I really got ex- started getting exposed to a lot of plays and that I might not have read before and stuff like that. And thinking about, like, am I going to take the risk to do this, you know, for the rest of my life or at least try to do it at that time? And that was a, that was a difficult decision because I, you know, I could take a test. I did OK in school. I did well in school and I could have done other things, you know, I could have gone the law school route, you know, I could have, you know, gone to business school. And I had people who were pushing and encouraging me to do something safe. As and and instead I did this thing that was very, very subjective, which means people can like your stuff or they cannot like it, right? But my mom, God bless her, she was always supportive of whatever I wanted to do. Um and she said as long as you really go after what you're gonna do, and you educate yourself to the highest level that is available to you to do it, um, which for me was meant uh, going to USC um, in the School of Dramatic Arts. As long as you do that, I will support you. And so I had a lot of emotional support. I grew up, you know, very working class, pull, as we used to call it sometimes. Um, <laughs> right. But, uh, but I was rich in uh, emotional support. So you're, you wanted to be an actor like that. Is that where you saw your, your trajectory going? You were going to be just an actor full stop. Absolutely. Now I was always writing and I was actually, it's so funny how things work because when I think about like competitions and stuff that I would do in high school, I would usually win or place, you know, so I knew I could compete um, at a pretty early age in that, in those arenas. But in retrospect, I would usually win first place in writing and second place in acting, actually. Like NAACP, AXO, oh. you know, that big program. Like I, I won first place in writing and second place in acting or dramatics, as they called it, you know. And so I was al- that was already in the back of my head that I had this other skill set. Okay. But you have to understand growing up in the early 90s and late 80s in South Side of Chicago, the idea of being a TV writer, a producer, like what is that? A showrunner, we didn't even have that term then. You know, that wasn't in the popular lexicon. You know, we didn't know what that was. So the only way I could have gotten that I think that I could have gotten to what I do now is I had to go through theater and acting because that's what I knew and I was good at it and I was committed to it. But when I came to USC 
in the theater school and started hanging around the film school, I started seeing, you know, flyers and stuff for like the Warner Brothers writing program and TV writer. What is that? Oh, those names mean something on the screen. That's a job that somebody does. You know, that's how it sort of started to sort of plant that seed. And then when I got to New York and I was acting on stage and stomp and stuff like that, I was having a great time, a great career, but I was starting to feel some limitations for my growth as a young black brother trying to do a certain type of material. One trying to be robbing nobody on screen all the time. I went, you know, whatever it was that was available was very limited. And so it became a very practical and a creative answer. Um, I got to write myself into the narrative or I'm not going to be there very long. I want to talk so much about that. That's yeah. Yeah. So we're going to take a real quick break here and then we'll come back and talk more with Anthony Sparks about how he got started as a writer. Like, cause that is the fast, that is such a fascinating world and foray to me. So I'm look forward. So stay tuned right here on Dear Culture. We'll be right back. All right. We're back here on Dear Culture and we're talking with Anthony Sparks about his career journey. And he was just explaining to us how he started acting and how he was exposed to the writing world and talking about writing yourself into the narrative. So I'm really fascinated by the idea of becoming a writer. Like I'm a writer, but you're like yeah. a TV writer and feel like all of that stuff. So like, what was that? You talked a bit about how you realized that that might be another way to get into. You had this talent that was there anyway, but you found yeah. limitations in acting, but how was it making the leap to decide I'm going to start doing this and then it working? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny when you read a person's bio or whatever, you have to remember you're getting the greatest hits, right? You're getting yes. a, a compilation <laughs> of the times that of the yeses that added up, you know, a career can be made by, you know, one person or maybe the right five people saying yes. So there are a lot of no's along the way. It didn't always work out in such a linear way, but I have been blessed. Um, I work hard, but I, I've been very fortunate to to have people who um, valued what they saw in me and poured into me. So I'm in New York. I'm acting on stage every night. I'm performing in Stomp. I'm also doing Shakespeare. I'm doing voiceovers. I'm, doing, I'm, the whole, I'm making a living as an actor for 10 years. Started to feel like as I was trying to move into the film and TV space, the theater thing was happening, but the TV and film thing was not happening. I was having casting directors say crazy stuff to me and the woman who would uh, go on to become and is still my wife, you know, who is also an actor. And she's this chocolate sister who's very trained and went to NYU and very talented, deeply, deeply talented. And we were just hearing crazy stuff like you don't exist. You're talented, but you're type. You don't seem like you come from Chicago. What is, you know, like da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah. And these were white people telling me this a lot of the time. It was a real mind, you know, screw it with your mind ahead a lot and your spirit eventually too, to have people who largely don't look like you telling you that you don't represent you. Right. That, okay. So then you go, but I came from a lot of people who look just like me and act just like me. I'm, I'm special. I ain't that special. You know, a lot of brothers like me, you know, there's Panama, there's me, you know, people I went to school with. So I realized after about five years of pounding the payment and having some success in TV and film, getting commercials and all that other stuff. Um, but most of my career being in theater, I went, oh, um, 
if I'm going to stay in this space, I'm going to have to come at it another way because they're not seeing me. They don't think I exist. They they straight up are telling me that. So I came across this book called The Showrunners in a bookstore one day in New York in the TV film section of Barnes and Noble. And I, and it described what a showrunner did. And the name of the book was the showrunners, the real stars of television out of print now, but I got a couple of copies Hmm. and I was like, this is what you should be doing. Like if you can learn how to write, you can make a good living and you can also be adding to the cultural conversation. You can make it maybe a little easier for the Anthony Sparks 10 years down the road to actually have a place to ply their trade, you know, as a performer. And then you, and then I was also, I was in New York, it was a great time for me and being on the East coast because I was just drinking in all of this culture about representation. And, you know, I was just getting, you know, deeply immersed in my blackity black, you know, whatever you want to call it, right. Kind of process. And so I came into TV with the idea that I was going to write myself and people like me into the narrative uh, or, or try, at least try. And, and that was the goal. And, and if I can make a living doing that, even better, you know. So this begs the question, though, because and you mentioned something earlier. So I'm going to I'm we're going to kind of talk representation and show running in the same space with Queen Sugar for me, because, you know, for me, that was easily one of my favorite shows that's ever existed. Everything just feels different all of a sudden. A pay stub is a requirement of your parole. Could have given me a heads up that you were going to write an article taking down the entire police department. Thank you so much for the support. Man, I, I cannot stress how much I enjoyed that show for a couple reasons. One, the representation piece you're talking about. I had never seen characters like any of those on yeah. on screen. I still yeah. contend, and I've been trying to figure out how I'm going to do it about and i told you this about ralph angel being like the most like complete complex black male character to ever exist on screen y'all serious right now you willing to just let the family legacy go like that like i there's i have been trying i've been like beating my head against the wall trying to figure out what and how i'm going to address that in what platform at some point Similarly, I had never heard the term showrunner. Actually, you know, I think the word showrunner really hit like the black consciousness when mm-hmm. Prentice Penny with Insecure. Yeah. We started hearing that. I remember when Insecure dropped, they started talking about the showrunner. I'm like, who in the hell is the showrunner? Like, what does that have to do with any of this? Like, I didn't understand that. Right. But all of a sudden right. now I see it as a part of every conversation with every show, like the showrunner, mm-hmm. the showrunner, the showrunner. So so yeah. tell me a bit about like being a showrunner. And then mm-hmm. how the Queen Sugar thing came into being, and this is where the representation part's like, right. how intentional was all of that with the way you all were writing and depicting? And like, it was like, I perfect is a strong word, right? I don't know yeah. that anybody ever has perfection, but right. I never felt so seen by characters that don't even represent my life. You know what I mean? Got it. Got it. Got it. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, Queen Sugar, you know, I did... Um, almost a whole series. They did six seasons. You know, they decided to do a seventh. I, and uh, by then I was contracted somewhere else to go to other places. But that show will always be a special, special part, not only of my resume, um, but of, of my heart. You know, uh, I gave gave a lot, a lot, a lot um, to that show. And I'm, and I'm thankful that I could do that. Uh, it was created 
for television by Ava DuVernay based on the book by Natalie Bazil. Um, and in some ways they're similar, but in a lot of ways they're different. And, you know, the, the, I agree with you hundred percent about the Ralph Angel character. One of them, and that was the character that frankly made me want to do the show. Actually, that when I first okay. read, when I first read the pilot script, I was like, this guy, I know this guy, I, I like, we let's do this, <laughs> you know? Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's so you're right. Show running, you know, you, you sometimes you hear about show creators and, and show runners and oftentimes they're the same person, but oftentimes they are not, um, you know, because a creator that's one script, you know, and you're trying to then get to somewhere between 50 and a hundred episodes if you can, you know, based on the world that was set up in that script. And so TV becomes a collaborative process in that way. Um, but generally speaking, you need somebody there who is a lead creative voice, um, who's there every day, um, just living in, living in that world and guiding that ship, you know, um, usually in combination with the creator, if they're still around, as that was the case with um, Queen Sugar and Ava DuVernay. But you, you need someone who deeply cares and is deeply capable of delivering that show week in and week out, you know. And to me, being in that position means that you are also taking on the responsibility of representation, uh, of, of uh, showing us if it's, if it's, if it's a, a show that's in the Black community or having Black characters showing us with complexity, you know. And um, and making that legible to your financial partners in a way that they let you, you know, get real and do what you want to do. So that's where the benefit of being on the Oprah Winfrey Network and having Oprah Winfrey as an executive producer <laughs> was really, really beneficial because, you know, those she's a powerful woman. And so you could put that show out there and not over explain it. And that's part of the reason for its success, I think, you know. If it were somewhere else, that we would have, we would not have been able to do that show exactly the way that we did it. I am probably fairly certain in saying that. Yeah, I. There's no way that this show lives and was as like authentic as as well lit. It looked amazing. Like everything about it, the way that it was like set up was 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 like like I said, perfect and strong, but. I just remember the conversations I had amongst my friends when we were trying to decide, like, I want, we want to talk about a show that actually represents us. And we all watch Queen Sugar. Like, this show was amazing. Like, yeah. I, I just, I love everything about it. I just want to comment, like, even on the lighting piece, right? You know, which obviously is directors and cinematographers, but it's an aesthetic that is definitely, you have to value that. Do you know how many young right. black kids we have rolling around in this country who don't think that they are beautiful because when they look at images on TV and film, they don't know that they're looking at black people who aren't lit correctly. <laughs> you know, they don't know that. They just yeah. know that some reason the aesthetic isn't as, as pleasing. And then that makes them think, oh, maybe, maybe, you know, other people are more attractive. Like that's a taboo thing to say, but people think that. You know, and then have to find a way to overcome that. What did you all feel as people creating and working in it and just 
Like, I mean, Kofi Sirwo became a superstar, <laughs> you know, exactly. through this through this yeah. show. Like, you know, we didn't know who he was at first, and all of a sudden, this man's he on magazine security. covers and everywhere. Like, yeah, and he needed security yeah. at the Essence Festival. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was in danger. <laughs> I bet he did. <laughs> um, the reception <laughs> was. I knew from day one we were working on something that could be special. Just every, I just been around okay. long enough to have a sense like. Uh, this, you know, there are a lot of things that have to go right, but the intentionality is there for it to be something special. It was on the right network. It had the right kind of support, had the right kind of vision. Um, the writer's room in particular and TV, your writer's room, um, outside of your cast, there is no more important decision about about a show, I think, is, is, is who is going to write it. Um, and we just had a, a really great group of writers who um, poured their heart into the show and poured love into it. And, and, and Ava was able to capture that and it, it showed up on the screen, you know? Um, so Absolutely. yeah, yeah. You know, my mother, for example, of all the shows I've done, she has since passed, but, and, and she passed while I was, um, was uh, writing and producing Queen Sugar. It was definitely the mo her favorite show that I ever done, and the reason was because she recognized those people. She had never seen people that she that represented her and that she recognized being rendered in such complexity and in such beauty, um, and in, and with such excellence. And so I'm very pleased that if she had to leave this realm, that she left watching her son. Um, do something that was incredibly meaningful to her and a lot of people love it all right we're going to take a break right here and when we come back we're going to talk about what you're doing now uh another okay. legacy show and uh <laughs> how it's impacting the community so we're going to take a quick break here on dear culture we'll be right back all right we're back here on dear culture we're here with anthony sparks we just got finished talking about uh queen sugar which is a show that creatively introduced an entire world of blackness and representation that well, I don't think we'd ever seen before. But yeah. you then moved to Bel Air. You you became yeah. the executive producer and a writer for the yeah. second season of Bel Air, which is the yeah. reimagining of the freshmen of Bel Air, but in a more dramatic, dramatic role. Ten years is a long time. Let me show you around. Where them dimes at? Hillary. <laughs> Let's go find you something fit for a prince. What do you think? Oh, I made you love. And I have to ask. What's it like going from a space that you literally have complete creative license on where that world is going? Like you said, the book, the, the show was very different than the book, right? I mean, there are new yeah. characters that weren't even in the book that are main yeah. characters in the show. And then you go to Bel Air, which has its own history, its own legacy. People feel a way about the way, you know, people felt very strongly about yeah. Bel Air. You know what I mean? And in the first season, I love it. I'm a huge fan of the show watch every yeah. episode i'm mad that i don't have advanced screeners to watch the whole thing <laughs> but you know so what's it like stepping into from a world where you have complete creative control of that world to one where you have to honor some of the history and the legacy and the stories that have already been created you know what that is a first of all that is a fantastic question i just want to like the fact that you even could draw out that difference because it is a huge, and particularly in my body of work and career thus far, it is a huge difference going from the, that, right. You know, people love the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. They feel a certain kind of way about it. 
and now you dare go reinterpret it. Like there were 5,000 <laughs> right. ways this could go wrong. 5,001 ways it should go wrong. And it didn't. And I will credit that to um, some very smart decisions that were made by the people who reimagined this, uh, Morgan Cooper and some uh, other uh, writers and producers that were uh, on the team that first season and continuing right. this season with myself and Alabanks Banks Waddles, you know, what was attractive to me about the show and what I think is resonating with people is even though The Fresh Prince was a sitcom, the premise is actually fairly dramatic. How come you don't want me, man? Like what Morgan Cooper did was just take the premise seriously, you know, and I would argue there's a world in which if TV had been evolved to the point where it is now, particularly for black characters um, and, and shows featuring black folks, that it maybe should have always been a drama, actually, <laughs> you know, given that premise. Um, and in the 21st century, you could now take a chance and do that as opposed to the eighties where in early nineties, yeah. where maybe there wasn't as much space in the TV realm to do that. They just wanted to see so us that, laughing and jolly on screen. And now we could do it differently. <laughs> yeah. You, you cutting through the, the politic way that I'm saying it exactly. You know, we could, we could, we could right. just say, take this seriously. Now, why I loved and wanted to do the show when the opportunity came to me is because if you take that premise seriously, what you're actually doing is a show about the interior life journey of a young black male. And how often do you get to see that? This is a brother from West Philly who defines his blackness and his manhood to himself in a particular kind of way. He gets complete, that gets completely blown up and he has to go to something that is unfamiliar to him and unfamiliar to probably the majority of black folks, which is black wealth, and because we have become so good in our community at taking the thing that we struggle with and has been oppressed upon us and turning it into some kind of virtue and even turning it sometimes into an authenticity test for what it is to be black. Now, what is it now that you don't right. have that? Now that the lights are going to stay on, you're not struggling for money. You have caviar in the refrigerator if you want. I suppose that's where you keep caviar. I don't know. You know, but I'm saying, you know, <laughs> I don't either. So point taken. So, you know, so what is that journey? And so it's going to, so you see that push and pull and that tension in the show of him trying to decide, especially this season, he's basically gone out and tried to recreate what he had in West Philly, even though he lives in Bel Air, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the basketball piece, you know, how's that going to work out? You know, it's probably going to be a little bumpy. And so it's going to force him to go inside by the end of the season without me um, giving away spoilers to ask, who am I now? Who am I when I get to decide when I get to to choose the circumstances of my life day to day? And it's not defined through struggle. Are you less black? Are you less of a black young black man? Or is there a different way to be? So, you know, basically, the show is about we're not a monolith. You know what I will say, too? It's interesting because this is two shows that you've worked on that I'm familiar with where 
like the black male characters are supremely complex and it's not even will i'm talking about it's the carlton character on 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 bel-air you're a long way from home carlton how you been you know thriving i hope uh, one day we can talk about why you're really here i yeah. love that character because i hate him so much yes. But yes. he has such an amazing arc, like, as a person. Like, Will coming in changes his whole world. But, like, the way that the Carlton character is, like, you forget that they, everybody else has to deal with this new reality and how that right. impacts the world that they live in. And you get to yeah. see his struggles with his blackness, with his, um, with his mental health. Like, yeah. just having to navigate this world where... Will comes in and is cooler than him in a lot of ways, but he's still like he it's fascinating. Like I I, I love that character. And I do too. I do need somebody to explain to me where Carlton learned how to fight. Because in that latest episode, he's putting them paws on that dude. And I'm like, where in the world does this dude learn how to fight like that? Because those were good punches. And I'm like, there ain't no way in the world that Carlton knows how to fight like this. So I need somebody to explain that. But I love Carlton's character on this show just for what he's bringing, like what what has been allowed to be brought out of that character since he doesn't have to be funny. He's not just a foil. He's a real right. full human. And I right. love what he what's happening with him as a black man, as a black man who's already experienced all of the stuff that Will is now learning, but having to navigate the the keeping it real part of it. Like, I think that's so fascinating. It, you know what? I love that character, too. And I love the reimagining of, like, who is this person if he doesn't, as you said, if he doesn't have to be, like, the funny foil? Like, what are his issues? Um, how does he cope with them? And that gets us into this mental health piece, which allows us to have that conversation that we don't have enough in the Black community about how do you, you know, right. like, prioritize mental health and and then how do you, how do you deal with it? And what does it cost a, 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 a character, a black character in that world if they haven't dealt with some of their stuff, right? Okay, so look, I got two kids in private school, two boys in private school, you know, that whole journey and a daughter who just graduated from that kind of world. Um, and while you go into those spaces because that's unfortunately in our country where most of the best education or, you know, uh, is sort of behind right. those gates, unfortunately. But I know if you're, you know, you got three kids too, right? Four. Yeah. <laughs> four. Yeah, four. Okay. You have four. Congratulations. Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, and um, <laughs> you, you. Your, 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 your prayer is that they go through their school journey and come out not only educated, and can compete in that realm, but healthy and whole, right? That's the prayer, right? Every day right. of every moment, every moment of every day. You're, you're, you're like, don't, you want them to be self-affirming. You want them to just, you just want them to not be messed up, <laughs> right? So the great thing about that character is, is we get to dramatize. Well, why do we have to say that prayer so hard when you send them into these environments, you know? We've not really seen a complex, um, dramatic sort of uh, point of view on that. Because a lot of times when you have like a wealthy black character or whatever, it, they're presented just as this jerk who just, you know, hates everybody. And 
um, looks down their nose at other people. And we never get to see, well, what's going on beyond that, because usually they're not the main character. They are literally brought in, generally speaking, the rich black foil. In this case, he's a main part of the show. We get to go deeper. Yeah, he is amazing. All right, we're going to take one more break here. And when we come back, yeah. we're going to do some of my favorite segments on the show, which are Black Fashions and Black Commendations. But I have another okay. question for you that's a little more personal, but based okay. on what you just said. So we're going to take one more break here in Dear Culture. We'll be right back. All right, we're back here in Dear Culture, and I'm still here with Anthony Sparks. We've been talking about Bel Air and the complexity of the Carlton character and just the story in general. And, you know, one thing I love about that show is the family aspect of it, of course. I mean, that's that's mm -hmm. part of the draw. We all loved Uncle Phil. We all loved Aunt Viv, whichever version is your favorite and all of that. But <laughs> one thing I've noticed about you, because I follow you on social media, is you seem to be as present a husband and father as you are a professional. Uh -huh. How? You seem so busy. How do you manage to 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 be able to balance so well? Because that's what that's what I notice a lot when I'm following you on social media. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, his kids are all in here. Like, he spends a lot of time in, yeah. in seemingly all the places. And I feel like yeah. that's a lesson we all need to learn. Man, that's a great question. First of all, thank you for noticing and thank you for even valuing that enough to ask about it. It is not automatic, as you well know. It obviously takes yes. effort, but it is labor, but it is, it is a labor of love though. You know, I did not grow up with my biological. Um, so I consider perhaps the most pioneering thing I've done in my life is be a husband and father, the kind of husband and father I'm striving to be. There is nothing more important than that. You know, my career is incredibly important. My art is very important. My creativity is, is very important. I have a creative household. My wife is creative. She's bad, you know. Um, but so we do have a common purpose that way. And we both value that and give each other space to do what that needs okay. to be. It's not a competition. Um, I, you know, I told her recently, um, I, I said, hey, hey, you got to get more sleep. Um, this don't work without you. Like none of this don't work without you. And, she and appreciated so, that. You know, so, so, and she's amazing. She's an easy, easy, easy person to love. Um, so th I guess the thing is, is it's the priority. It is a priority. And I'm blessed that my ascendancy in my career in terms of being in charge or being high level has come at a time where I do need to be present for my kids. So Hey, y'all, I'm setting it up and blah, 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 blah. I got to dip out for two hours. My son's running a track, you know, thing, you know, or my son's playing basketball or whatever. And so it's very important that I'm very organized when I'm doing my thing um, because I'm trying to make space by being efficient in my work so that I can be present for my family, you know, in, in that way. What I hear is be intentional. Right. You need to be intentional about, you know, your time and your space and how you prioritize. And that's I think that's a lesson in every conversation I've had with anybody about fatherhood or being a good husband, being a good father, all that stuff. It all seems to come down to you have to put in the effort and you have to be intentional with the way that you want to do it. Yeah. You, you can't just wake up and hope it all for it all works. You have to make right. these things work the best way that you can. You know what I mean? And that's as that's as good a that's as good of advice or anything that anybody I think is ever going to give and I've ever heard. So 
point taking. Well, I just it's fascinating to see. Time for a quick break. Stay with us. And we're back. So one of my favorite segments here at the show, when we come to a close, we do two things. We do black fashions and we do black recommendations. Our black fashions are confessions that people might be surprised to learn about you because you're black. Right. And I'm always amazed at the kind of things that people show up with, the movies they haven't seen or the books they haven't read, the people they hate, the, you know, whatever it is. It's, it's you know, we always like to say we're not a monolith and this is always an opportunity to prove it. So right. do you have a black fashion for us? I do. I do. And, um, <laughs> and, and you know, you know it's, it's a stereotype to begin with. So let me just say that that I don't participate in. But since you're asking, I hate watermelon. Can't stand it. Cannot stand You know, people watermelon. do say that. I don't know how you can hate watermelon. It's so wonderful. It tastes so great. <laughs> I can't. It's so... Has this always been the so, case? Have you been like this your whole life? It's so messy, and it's like it's a lot of work for a little payoff, and it's too many seeds, and da 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 you know. It's just, it's just too much, you know. It's too much. Like when when I go to a juice like a, a juice shop or something, and they're like, "Oh, watermelon smoothie," I'm like, I can't think of anything more disgusting. <laughs> I gotta be honest with you. <laughs> you know, it's um, funny you said it's a lot of work and a little payoff. That's very funny to me. <laughs> it's a lot of work, you know. And uh, so okay. when I was younger, growing up, people were like, "Oh, we got some new," you know melon coming and da, 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 da. people get excited it's a hot day in chicago and stuff like that you know and i would just i would just sit there just looking at people like judging like <laughs> you know thank you for that black fashion to counter these black fashions we also ask people to share black recommendations which are recommendations by for and about something in the black black culture black community basically we ask people to share something that they think other people uh, in the community should be up on, should be aware of, should be checking out. And a lot of people have, you know, you're a creative, you have a lot of things that you work on that could be the, anything. So do you have a black recommendation for us? Yeah, um, I think it's for parents. I'm going to get it wrong, but there's a great book out about college admissions for black families that these two have brothers that book. just wrote. Okay, yeah. What's the name of it? I'm I'm doing such yep. a bad job. I can't I can't think of the name of the book. It's I know um, what you're talking about. It's like everything you need to know about college admissions kind of thing, but I know exactly what I it's downstairs in my, my library. Uh yeah. but I do have that book and I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's uh, it might be as simply as like college admissions for black families. It's something like that. If you Google that. Um that's a book that yeah. I have enjoyed reading. I just went through the process and the college admissions process is changing so quickly, you know, due to the pandemic and test optional becoming more prevalent and all that other stuff. So I just think um, I like the sort of even keeled manner in which those brothers kind of talk about how we have to have our own priority list, not get caught up and swept up and sort of the stuff that other folks be talking about because it may or may not be the thing that's right for your particular kid, you know? And um, right. so that might be a little bit of a left black recommendation, you know, a little bit left, you know? No, that's perfect. Uh, that's wonderful. And it's right. called the Black Family's Guide to College Admissions. So it was yeah. simple by Timothy yeah. Fields and Shereem Herndon Brown. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. 
We'll yeah. make sure we 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 make sure we uh we put that up on the screen so people can see that what it's called. But yeah, I'm familiar yeah. with that book. I also bought a copy of it. I'm some years away from that, but you can never yeah. you can never start too early, right? You can well, you say you have a early. 13. Is your oldest so. 13? Is it 14? 13, 14? 14. She just turned 14. She starts high school yeah. next year. So okay, you know, yeah. You know, my plan was yeah, for her to go to Spelman, but it turns out she wants to be an actor in life. So now she's looking at all these other schools. The Carnegie Melons and okay. all that type of stuff because that's where her mind is. So, you know, who well, knows where she's going to end up. So I will be reading this book. Know, well, get, keep my personal information if that's her, if she stays on that track because that was my pathway, you know. And so, you know, I was auditioning and, and applying to the Carnegie Mellons and the NYUs and the, and the USC's and the Northwest, you know, all those Juilliard and all that other stuff. Yep. And it is a very particular way to go through uh, the college admissions process. And uh, I have some thoughts about it, you know, so, yeah. I will absolutely be reaching out when time comes. Uh, <laughs> sir, thank you for being here. Where can people, what, what should, where can people find Anthony Sparks and your work and everything? You can watch, you know, what I've been working on, um, on, on Bel Air, which is on Peacock, dropping weekly now uh, for another six or seven weeks. Uh, but you can find me on Insta at SparksAnthony, Sparks.Anthony. Same thing on Twitter, Sparks Anthony. Um, I'm there. And, you know, keep an eye out. I got a lot of stuff going on that I'm not able to talk about right now, but I'm very excited about uh, the things that I am uh, working on that have not dropped yet, you know, but uh, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm working with an Oscar winner. I'm working with an Emmy winner. I'm working with a Pulitzer Prize winner. I'm, I'm doing a lot of stuff that um, is keeping me very, very busy and engaged and um it takes a while for it to kind of go through the tv process before you see it but it's coming and i'm excited about it thank you for sharing a little time with us here dear culture um you know like i said before it seems like the work that you do is 100 right up my my alley like it's all the stuff that i'm the most interested in culturally so yeah. i genuinely appreciate all you've done what you will do i love bel-air i'm watching it every week obviously thank i watched you. all the queen sugar um and I'm yeah, keeping up, you. so I'm looking forward to seeing what you got going on in the future. Uh, you thank know, you. thank you for your time. You. Uh, you are greatly appreciated. Uh, keep representing us. You know, I love I love the storytelling and the way that you represent black people and just thank people you. in general. You know, people who happen to be yeah. black. We are telling stories here, and I, I, you know, thank you for everything that you you bring to the table. Thank you so much, Panama. Thank you. I appreciate that deeply. Thank you. And thank you to everybody who's listening to Dear Culture here. We are an original podcast of the Griot Black Podcast Network. Our producer is Sasha Armstrong, and Regina Griffin is our managing editor of podcasts. So make sure you stay tuned. Check us out every week. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm Panama Jackson. Have a black one. started this podcast to talk about not just what 
Black writers write about, but how? Well, personally, it's on my bucket list to have one of my books banned. <laughs> I know that's probably bad, but Ooh. I think- Ooh, spicy. They were yelling N-word, go home. And I was looking around for the N-word because I knew it couldn't be me because I was a queen. <laughs> but I am telling people to quit this mentality of identifying ourselves yeah. by our work, to start to live our lives and to redefine the whole concept of how we work and where we work and why we work in the first place. Honored to be here. Thank you for doing the work that you're doing. Keep shining bright. And we and, and like you said, we're gonna keep writing black. As always, you can find us on the Grio app or wherever you find your podcasts.